Um, oh. Ooh, can you mute your <laughs> notifications? Do you know how to do that? Uh, weird that that's... Um, sorry, yeah. What the... On your under your name on the left column. Yeah. Was that even somebody else trying to buzz you? Well, the weird thing is, like I have I'm way in the Google universe. I have a like Google Fi phone. And that was actually somebody calling me on my actual phone. Oh, okay. Well you could just silence that then. Well, but then my computer was beeping about it. So, <laughs> oh, that's weird. Yes, yeah, so I don't even know what just happened. <laughs> this bonus episode is long overdue. I have been swamped since October, and every time I was prepared to polish up and publish this episode, life punched me in the face. Now, I'm not trying to complain here. Some were friendly punches, if that makes sense with the metaphor. My point is, life happens, and it happened to pull me in a whole bunch of different directions at once. But it's all good. Here we are. This is the second official song and story bonus episode. It features more of my conversation with Wendell Kimbrew. But before we get into it, I want to briefly expound upon something that was said at the start of our conversation in episode 16. It concerns evolution, that is, how artists evolve. In my own experience, the last full-length album I put out was called The Spark. Check it out if you're unfamiliar. It's a double album with 22 songs on two discs, spanning multiple genres, indie, rock, folk, roots, gospel, Americana, bluegrass, blues, Irish drinking songs, instrumental pieces. It felt epic in scope at the time I was making it. And yet, when the album was done, when I was stuck in that strange place between finishing a record and releasing it, I vividly remember walking home through the streets of Baltimore one night by myself, wondering, what on earth am I going to do next? I hadn't even released this brand new double album yet, and I was already wondering what I was going to release after it, what sound, style, and substance I'd want the next record to have. The artist's struggle is incessant insatiability. We're constantly evolving, challenging ourselves to explore new creative, sonic, and lyrical landscapes. At the start of our conversation in episode 16, right after his brilliant song, Two Ways to Be Worthless, finishes its first play, Wendell Kimbrew says this. I'm I'm real curious to see where our conversation goes today. Partly because I'm like I hadn't thought about this song in a long time. I mean I, you know, looked at it here today, but um I've changed a lot in the last eight years, so it's like it's a, it's going to be interesting to kind of reflect on it a little bit. So that is the focus of this bonus episode. How has Wendell changed a lot in the last eight years? How has he evolved? What does his approach to music look and sound like now? Diving in, here is the opening track from his latest album, Come To Me. This song is called Draw Near.
few years, um, I've been working with the Psalms in the Old Testament. And um, that's been a really rich journey and a different, a pretty, at least in my mind, a pretty different shift. Now I'm starting to kind of look back and realize like there are a lot of things that have carried over in terms of what I'm trying to do ultimately with my music. But, you know, I went from writing songs that their intended purpose was for me to perform them in a house show or on a stage to now I'm writing songs that their intended purpose is to help people have a conversation with God that they can, they can sing along, you know, so that the words can kind of become their own and help them pray essentially. I mean, it's, you know, it's worship music, if you will. Um, but it's, uh, it's broader than what we think about when we say worship music, because the Psalms are, the Psalms are what a whole life lived in conversation with God looks like, including, you know, God, I'm mad at you. God, I'm confused. Um, you know, including God, that was awesome. Thank you <laughs> for doing that. You know, um, where are you, God? <laughs> you know, uh, the Psalms kind of, t- kind of cover the whole gamut. So typically when we think about worship music, we think about praise. Um, and that's just kind of one piece of the pie in the Psalms. So it's been rich for me because it's, it's given me space to deepen my own conversation with God. And I'm, you know, like I'm learning to lament. I'm learning to talk to God about stuff that hurts in life. I'm, I'm learning to be honest with myself and with him uh, about the pain of life, which, you know, I didn't really do in church a lot before starting to write musical settings of psalms. Um, church has been, for most of my life, a place where I show up and put on a smile, you know, and do the kind of professional Christian uh, so I don't know your listeners may not know this, but I like I've been a worship leader for a long time on Sundays. So churches and my dad was a pastor, so I grew up in church and showing up at church on Sunday has for a lot of my life been like a little bit of a performance. Like I'm gonna be a good kid, I'm gonna be a good worship leader, I'm gonna show up and smile and kind of share the like most positive version of myself with the world. And um, when I got invited to start writing the Psalms more, um, it's just like, man, here's permission to have a much more honest conversation with God in church and to be, and to be a lot more real with him. That's, that's really, uh, that's kind of in a nutshell what I'm doing right now. I'm writing Psalms and singing them in, in church and I'm going to churches and, and teaching these songs to them and inviting them to have these kind of more, just a broader, emotionally honest conversation with God in church. It's, it's a beautiful thing, man. And I, I love the, uh, I love the approach you've taken with it. And, you know, my f- initial reaction when you said it's worship music, I, I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think I made a sound or said anything, but in my head I went, eh, 
eh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think you, I think you know why I did that because it does not sound like what anyone who's familiar with, you know, contemporary worship music. It's not that it's got your sensibility behind that, but it translates in a very communal way. And I think, I think the fact that, you know, your personal artistic sensibilities are behind it really kind of echoes and maybe channels what they would have been the first time that David ever played them, Mm. you know, because he wouldn't have been writing in a genre or a style, you know, he, he would have had his own way of making music and constructing melodies. And I mean, we know from the Psalms that he had his own way of, you know, formulating thoughts and singing, whether it was, he was in a season of, you know, discouragement or encouragement. And so I think it's a really, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. Did you kind of see yourself going that direction when you put out things that can't be taught? No, it's funny. Um, things that can't be taught was, um, my goal with that was to like make a masterpiece and I, I, you know, that album was very precious to me. I worked really hard on it for almost like, I don't know, a year and a half or something. And it, and I controlled like pretty much every detail of the process. And I think probably somewhere in my, in the back of my mind, I thought if I just make the album that I dream of, you know, and I control it, you know, and, and do everything exactly the way I want it to be, then it's going to like, I don't know what it was I was thinking, but either like it's going to be like a huge success or I'm going to feel successful or I'm going to feel some like great sense of finality or accomplishment, you know? Uh And I love that record. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, you know, I'm happy with it. I'm proud of it, but it did not, it certainly didn't yield like tremendous success, (laughs) but more importantly, I don't think it, it yielded that sense of accomplishment or finality from, for me either, you know? So I think that left me a little bit confused in terms of what to do next. And um, now I look back at that and I'm like, you know, that was just, that was a good place for me to be a little confused and open to kind of a suggestion. And, And the whole Psalms thing was not my idea. I had written a little bit of music for for corporate um, church use, uh, but really just a handful of songs. And when when we moved down here to Alabama and I took this job um, at this little Anglican church here, the pastor asked me if I would start writing something every week following the lectionary for the congregation to sing along with for the psalm. And... I mean, I could have said and honestly thought about saying that's going to be an all encompassing project like that's going to take if I do that, that's the only writing I'm going to do. And I don't I don't really want to do that Um, because writing something new every week. I mean, you can probably identify with like that's a lot of work. Oh, I don't I don't try to do that, that I that I want to curl up. And go sleep in a sock drawer. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's an overwhelming <laughs> thought, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it and it was for me at the time, but something about it, I think, because I just I felt a little bit just kind of open, you know, kind of like, well, I'm not sure what to do next as a writer, as a musician. I was like, 
okay, I'll try it. And I think too, at that point, like, and this is, I'm like getting into deep into the biography here and like self, self examination, but like a lot of what drove things that can't be taught was perfectionism. I had a vision. It was very specific. I knew how I wanted that record to sound and I achieved it. But perfectionism didn't get me what I wanted out of life. And so I think when I got invited to write a psalm every week, it was kind of like, huh, that's something that I can't do perfectly. Like, if I'm going to put something out every week, I'm going to have to loosen my grip and I'm going to have to, like, let it be just good enough sometimes. And that might actually be good for me. (laughs) Like, that might actually be a life thing. Yeah, have to let go of something that you don't want to because you don't think it's good enough. I like that. Yeah. I'm not going to do it, but I like that one. (laughs) Well, you might ought to try it, man. I mean, because it's like it's it has it has prompted a revolution for me personally in my songwriting. Like I have a very different approach now in terms of I, I work a lot faster. I'm way more about you know, try an idea out. Don't get too far down any road before you say, is this working or is it not? And if it's not working, then just move on, you know, cut your losses and move on to the next one. Uh, I, I like teach songwriting. I have like a little songwriting course thing. Not really. Course is not the right word. Lecture is, is really better word for it. But it's all about letting go of control and and being forced to let other people into your songs before you think they're done and letting them help you discern like whether it's a good idea or not. Cause that's practically what happened with writing for my church. Like I had a deadline every week. And so I had to have something out for my congregation on Sunday. So I just couldn't, I didn't have the choice to be perfectionistic about every single piece. I just couldn't do it. So I had to move toward a community and put out what I had each week. And then as, as they tried to sing it back to me and sing it with me on Sundays, it helped me see more clearly like, oh, well, that worked really well. And this did not work so well. Ah, that's interesting. And so now I'm like, I'm a, I'm a big believer in like moving with your ideas, your song ideas, like moving toward a community yeah, you're you're almost like experimenting with the body to see what works best for the body. That's interesting. Yeah, and giving them, I mean, they, they have a voice in in my creative process. It's not just me trying to, like, channel my muse, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. And, like, find this, like, perfect creative, like, inspiration. It's like... No, just, you know, I got to get it to a point where it's presentable and then I'm going to share it with with people and they'll let me know if it's worth sinking a lot more time into to try to like finish it, you know. Right. So I think at least for me as a like recovering per, like crippled by perfectionism person <laughs> um that that's been a really healthy journey. That's been a real life-giving journey for me. So is there um is there a song one in particular from Come to Me? Like do you have a favorite? 
you know, I mean, I'm curious what you would pick, but I, um, uh, I think the, I think the song off of that record that is my favorite to perform is the first track. It's called draw near. Yeah. Based on Psalm 69. And it's just a, it's just a, a lament from a very, from a place of real brokenness. Um, and it's been good for me to sing that song, make it my own. Uh, so that's probably that's probably the favorite off of that record for me. I mean, I love I love the record. I'm I'm proud of it. I like the songs on there, all of them. But that's probably the one that I like to perform the most and like to share with people the most. Yeah, I w- I would have been thinking seven and eight. Uh, oh God, do not be silent. Oh yeah. And why why so proud, yeah. oh man of power? Yeah. I mean, I love I love the whole thing. Like I'm a I'm a listen to an album from start to finish type of guy, yeah. and I've always done that with your stuff. I love the way you order things. There's something for me about like the real, the real moody stuff. Yeah, that kind of you know without even thinking about it, you just you let your guard down and you're just kind of in it. You know. Um maybe to kind of bring everything full circle when you get to the end and you're asked to explain crossing that line and you show them the letter and they say, and you say, love is not a crime. Who do you think you're going to get a better response from for your actions, for your tough love, God or the cops? <laughs> Like, I don't even think I know what that question means. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, God? <laughs> uh, seriously, what is that? I don't, I don't, even, I don't even understand that. What is that? Like, who do you, who do you think is going to understand you just shot someone in the femur with a handgun. Then you pulled out your shotgun, threw him in your truck. <laughs> when you're confronted about those actions, yeah, and your de- and your defense is, love is not a crime. Yeah, who do you think who do you think is gonna understand that defense more, and use it when weighing justice and mercy, God or the cops? Definitely not the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, God is a God of compassion and a God of mercy, and he is himself love, you know? So uh, whatever the balance is between the kind of, you know, what in the song is kind of like a tough love and then like a more like gentle love, like whatever the perfect balance of that is, he knows. (laughs) I don't at this point, you know? I'm like... I don't know, man. <laughs> um, I think it's it's a lot more grace than than it is uh, kind of the like, you know, grab you by your suspenders and get in your face kind of thing. But um, um, yeah, but that's like it's like who God is. So. The flood around me is 
rising The water's up to my neck My voice is worn out from crying Oh Lord, please send me your They left me for dead 